The complaining has eased and the apologies have somewhat flown out of a few camps. A legend has been awarded an award controversially, and we have a change to our hosting lineup. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. We have a big show lined up for you. We're going to talk about more of the fallout from the quarantine scandals that have been well, befalling the tennis world over the past few weeks. Novak Djokovic with a, a kind of a half, half-assed half apology. There, Nick Kyrgios sitting back at him. Margaret Court awarded an AC in the Australia Day Honours. What are our thoughts on that? We'll see Diana Yastremska. She just can't escape bad news at the moment. Alexander Zverev and much more. Alexander Vukic, ATP young gun, 24 years old, 195 in the world to join us. But usually at this time, I would be introducing a man named Joel Fritchie. Well, he, he's MIA. He's missing in action. I don't know where he's gone. So we've upgraded and we've gone to the sexiest high performance coach in the business. His name is Mark Safoulis. Mark, how are you? Going <laughs> well, Bell, and thanks for the kind introduction. There's no um, no replacing the, the great man Stone Cold Joel Fritchie. But um, to be able to be alongside you and uh, obviously fresh from uh, the, the summer break, Bell and uh, ready to rock and roll, and hopefully we can we can bring a good show to the listeners. That's exactly right. You've been up in Moama over the weekend, so how was that? It was good. Got plenty of sun. It was uh, I think on average thirty nine degrees over four days, so uh, it was nice. And uh, worked on a bit of the tan and got to spend time with the kids. So looking forward to uh, to get stuck into a, a bit of work. I've actually been a bit MIA myself and haven't really been keeping up to date. So. Uh, you've got me brushed up now, and I'm ready to rock and roll for today. Well, I sure hope so. But um, it has been a big few weeks, Mark. And, and look, we, we must, before we get into anything, we must touch on the tennis menu, of course, because you are the co-founder with you and yourself, uh, you, you uh, and the wonderful Nick Gissing. Um, how's all that tracking at the moment? There's some big plans coming for 2020. So um, how far away are we from, uh, from hearing about those? Yeah, we're not far away now. Big, uh, big meeting coming up uh, on Friday. So looking forward to getting our our uh, thinking minds together and uh, looking at the plan for 2020. But there's going to be a few courses. There's going to be some webinars. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned because uh, there's plenty to give away. We, we're trying to give away as much as we can, obviously from a from a free of charge perspective, and get people who love the game of tennis to uh, to start to follow us. So if you, if you haven't followed us by now, get on social media, have a look, and uh, stay tuned for what's ahead. And I know Val. You know, you and I have got some big, big things happening in terms of our our book that we've got going at the moment. So, looking forward to getting that to to a lot of people, hopefully in the near future. Fingers crossed. Then, yes, it's going to be a big year on uh, the tennis menu front. So, at the tennis menu on Instagram and Twitter, and the tennis menu on Facebook and LinkedIn, you can find all that. But we must get into the agenda, Mark, and players in quarantine. I'm really keen to get your thoughts on this because we saw a lot of complaints and a lot of whinging coming from a lot of players throughout this um throughout this situation and. Look, I, Joel and I discussed it last week that the players knew what was happening and what they were going to have to overcome if there was a positive test or just in general that they were going to have to stay in a hotel room. And, you know, if someone was flitting, flipping the bill for me to stay at the Grand Hyatt or the Pullman um, or the View Hotel in Melbourne uh, for two weeks, paying for my flights, and then I get a guaranteed $100,000 check for the first round of the Australian Open. I'm laughing. That's a deposit on a house for me. So, um, you know, I'd, I'd be thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying life. Um, you know, you practice in the hotel room, you get out for a little bit every day, you do your bit for the community, um, which is what we've had to do in Melbourne. So as a coach, if your player is acting like a complete and total brat, like a lot of them have, what are you saying to them and coming from where you've come from, because it's obviously been a tough time for you in Melbourne as a tennis coach, what are you saying to them and 
how are you how are you transmitting this message to them and how are you and how are you what's your tone are you angry are you calm or are you just blunt well, at the end of the day, you can't control it. You've been given a set of rules and, a, and an agenda, and that's all you can go by. And, and as a coach, I'll be saying, okay, well, we can't control what we've been given, but we can't control how we how we respond to it. And I feel like there's a lot of players that, and, and look, it's generally the same players, you know, in all facets of complaining, and uh, you know, in a lot of things around the world. But you know, when when you've been told what is going to happen, um, then there's there should be no excuse now. I think one of the things that, that a lot of these international players haven't understood, and this is what I'm getting at the moment, is they haven't quite understood how strict the protocols were. Now, it might have been on paper, but until you get into that situation, I don't think you really realise what Australian quarantine looks like. Now, it is quite brutal. There's no doubt about it. You know, sitting in four walls, no fresh air. If you've been quarantined like 75 of the players have for two weeks with nothing, that is a very, very, like a big challenge for a lot of people. And it doesn't matter if you're an athlete or anything, it, it's tough. And, you know, I do feel for those players that are going through it. And I do feel for the people who have had to go through it from Australia and had to be, you know, in quarantine like that, because it is brutal. Um, you do start to, you know, go a bit crazy in your mind and it's very hard to stimulate yourself. But these guys are athletes. Um, you know, there's plenty they can be doing to improve their game. And I know I had my player in quarantine in Perth uh, in December and, we try to keep her engaged. We try to keep her fit. We try to keep her strong. Uh, we try to keep her on track and just keep her mind in the controllables. And, and that's all we could do. And, and, and look, she's come out of that really well. Um, some players aren't coming out of it as well. But um, at the end of the day, you, you've given what you've given and you've got to deal with it. And, you know, keep your mouth closed and just literally go about your job and be ready for the Australian Open because that's all you can do. And that's exactly right. And we've seen a lot of players have been opening their mouths and then coming up testing positive as well and Paula Bedosa was one of those ones or Paula Bedosa and she had a go at um at, at the rules saying that you know we weren't even close to the people on the plane and so on and so forth and we weren't told much um so she was sort of questioning her stay at the holiday Inn in Melbourne which look isn't the greatest of hotels it's a little bit dingy looking we all know that um anyone that's been to Melbourne has seen it on the airport and gone oh geez that's uh wouldn't really want to be staying there but um you know we know why they're there she was questioning that and guess who tested positive for COVID <laughs> bingo yep <laughs> exactly right and that's and that, look at the end of the day like it's it's tough because you know this this pandemic has really thrown its challenges to everybody and you know it doesn't matter who you are what your status is in life you are not immune to any of this and you've got to understand that this virus can spread now for, for us Melbournians, for us Australians we've had to you know cop lockdowns and you know I've missed work for six months of 2020 and gone through a hell of a lot like we all have and these players need to understand what we as a community have gone through and, and the, the hell that we had to go through in 2020, not many other countries have done what we have done in lockdown totally. So, you know, they need to understand that the community that they are coming into needs to be kept safe and they need to play their role. Now, I'm sorry, but there's a little bit of karma in that, unfortunately. And uh, and she's got basically what, what her mouth has given her. So, um, you know, I, I feel for it, but at the end of the day, you know, do what you have to do and I don't think that would have happened to you. No, exactly right. And, yeah, it's... I think the situation that's that's that was my immediate thought as well. Um, I just said absolute karma. 
Um, so look, there's not really much you can do. Don't open your mouth. Don't complain. And, um, you know, everything happens for a reason. And I think when you do the wrong thing, something comes back and bites you eventually. So, um, uh, not a great move from, um, Paula Bedosa and, uh, another, look, it was another sort of half-assed apology from Novak Djokovic during the week. He did say sorry and said that, you know, again, only good intentions. It's becoming Novak only good intentions Djokovic. And that's going to be his middle name from now on because he said that for absolutely everything. How about you stop doing stupid things, Novak? And then you won't have to apologize because this was completely and utterly dumb. And Nick Kyrgios again has hit back and said that Djokovic at the moment is kind of like the LeBron James. He's the best player in the world. He's the world number one. You have to lead by example, and he's not doing that at the moment. He's just completely and utterly acting like an ass every chance that he gets. And he needs to stop. Even Rafael Nadal said on an interview in C- on CNN that some players just need to keep quiet, and that's a backhand at all the players that have said something, including his Spanish counterpart and ATP Cup teammate, um, Roberto Batista Agu. And I think he's just saying, look, guys, we need to calm down. We agreed to this. We all knew what was going to be the case. We all knew we were going to have to be in here for two weeks. Um, just calm down, do your time, and it'll be done. It'll be done this week. Absolutely, and, and I, look, being a leader is not a title. Novak Djokovic is a leader. Being a leader means you lead by actions. Now, his actions are um, probably opening the door for players below him to be doing the same thing. He just needs to lead via actions. And I'm so glad Victoria Azarenka came out and did what she did throughout the last you know week or so, you know, coming out and, and trying to unite the tennis tennis players and the tennis community and say, hey, we're all in this. We knew what we were coming into. Let's work together. Let's get through this. Let's save, you know, help save the community a little bit. Uh, we're here to do a job. Let's just do what we're doing. And you know, good on her for doing that. That is what a leader does. And I'm just hoping a lot of players follow suit in the way that Victoria Azarenka has as well. Yep, exactly. And we, we brought that up last week on the show and how impressive that statement was. Um, and she came out when tennis really needed her to do so. And who knows what the Victoria Azarenka of seven or eight years ago might have said in this situation. But um, as was discussed towards the end of last year, she has matured in abundance ever since. And, and she's been through a lot. She's had her injuries she had a custody battle that sort of didn't allow her to leave America. Otherwise, she would have lost custody of her son. So she's been through the wars mentally and physically over the last five years. And she's come out of that stronger. And we've seen it on court, Mark, at, at how how calm and how kind of zen, I guess, she's been. And if we think back to the US Open, when she had a fly on her face and she was just sitting there, did not break concentration at all. So it was genuinely unbelievable to see on her part and I think and I really do hope that we can see the best of her come Melbourne Park and she seems like she's in a good space mentally it's the Grand Slam that she has won twice and had the most success on so I think she's in a really good position to do well um, when the tournaments do start in Melbourne but another one that I do want to speak to you about because we've touched on the quarantine stuff enough we've been you know we've been through a lot of that is the Margaret Court issue now, this is something that we've tried to stay away from on the podcast in, in recent times because we don't really want to get like overly political on it. But Margaret was awarded an AC, which is a companion of Australia. It's the highest honour you can get as part of the Australia Day Honours. Um, she's been rewarded for her services to tennis. And this caused a bit of a public furor from a lot of people. 
um, and a lot of anger from the public, the media and politicians um, around the country and around the world. Um, and one of those was the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, saying that he didn't even mention her name and said that having a glittering winning Grand Slams doesn't mean you get right to be rewarded, essentially. But this is a female, uh, Mark, who has won, I almost forgot your name there for a sec, that would have been an absolute disaster, but this is a female who has won 64 Grand Slam titles. She's won 24 singles, the most ever by a male or female in singles, 19 in doubles, and 21 in mixed doubles, which again is the most ever. 64 Grand, uh, 64 grand Slams, the most won by any player, the most winningest player of all time in Grand Slams. This award is for her services to tennis. Now, her views on the homosexual agenda and the LGBTQ community are abhorrent. They are genuinely abhorrent, and I do not condone them in any way, shape, or form. But she has been rewarded for her services to tennis, and for the people to say that she's already been rewarded for that, well, now she has. Now she's won. All, now she's been rewarded to the fullest extent of what she's done for tennis in this country, what she's done for young athletes in this country, all the coaching that she's done, all the mentoring that she's done, all of the experiences that she shared and all the pioneering and trailblazing that she has done for tennis in this country and for women in this country in sport. She has been genuinely amazing. She's won every Grand Slam at least five times in singles, doubles and mixed doubles. That's unprecedented. Unprecedented. So people can spare me if they're saying she doesn't deserve this award because she does. This is about her tennis career and nothing else. And we must stress that we don't condone what she said at all because they are very, very outdated opinions. But she, you can't you can't discount someone's tennis record because of something that they've said 40 years after they retired. Everybody listening to this podcast will, won't be able to see me, but I'm going to stand up and just give you a round of applause because that is exactly, I think, the views that I think uh, I was going to go with, and you said it perfectly. Um, you know, she was given the award uh, for uh, what she's done on the court, um, and that is exactly what she was given this award. So I'm going to leave it at that because you said it absolutely spot on, Val, and I, and I totally agree um, with everything you just said. And um, she's a you know a leader from a from a sporting and tennis perspective. Um, her views are her own. Um, and her opinions are her own, um, and you know, obviously, that is a separate, a separate um, scenario to what we're talking about now. So, no, I, I do absolutely, hundred percent agree with exactly what you said. Right. Yeah, and we mustn't forget, Mark, that what she did say was vile and awful, and absolutely, as I said, abhorrent. So, we definitely can't forget that in the same vein as well. So, I think there's a, it's a double-edged sword here. Um, so I think we should just leave the matter at that. Just a quick one before we do get to Alexander Vrugic. Diana Yastremska, Mark, has tested positive to a banned substance and suspended um, accordingly by the world, um, by WADA. Um, she's ended up flying to Australia waiting for her appeal, and now all of a sudden she's been put into hard lockdown. <laughs> Things just do not seem to be going well for her at the moment, do they? It's it's one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen for her to actually fly down here, go through a hard quarantine because she was on the wrong plane, and now 
Um, she's got to wait for the Court of Arbitration for Sport to hear her appeal, which is going ahead before the Australian Open. So she might actually get to play, but do you, was it even worth it? Oh, look, I think when when this is your career, um, you know, this is your, your job, this is your livelihood, uh, you, you take those risks. And, and, you know, reading up a lot, a lot on what's happened with her, her case, you know, two weeks earlier, she had tested um, negative um, to anything, and then she gets this very, very low case um, of a metabolic steroid, um, which is very low. And um, so, you know, she's talking about having it tampered with, or something was 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 put into a into a meal or something like that. So, um, look, I, I think I think you've got to take the punt because you know it also it shows that you you feel you're not guilty if you don't come. It almost just probably puts your fingerprints on it and says, hey, I've, I've done it. Um, so I guess it was probably a hard decision for her to do that. And she probably wants to try and, uh, you know, be as innocent as possible until proven absolutely guilty. And right now she's still going through, you know, that court case. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens in, in the next couple of weeks. But um, I would dare say that she will not be playing the Australian Open. And, you know, she's taken a punt, but it's probably not going to pay off. Yep, agree. I think um, she's taken the cake for the um, for the tennis player with the biggest lack of smarts over the last year with some of the things that she's said and done. Um, yeah, not not some not the greatest year, but um, we are about to get to someone who has had a fantastic year in 2020, and we'll continue that into 2021 with a wild card into the Australian Open. And let's get to him now. We'll try and track him down, and we have tracked him down, Mark. And this is a man who. A lot of people didn't enjoy 2020, but I dare say that this man did. Rising from 273 to 195th in the world, career high ranking of 190 that he did achieve last year, qualified for his first Grand Slam, and he does have a wild card into this year's Australian Open beginning very, very soon on February 8th. His name is Alexander Vukic. Alexander, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and congrats on the wild card. Yeah, thanks guys. Thanks. It's good to be here. How's um? So, well, first things first. You are from Sydney, so how was it getting into Melbourne with the debacle that happened up there on the northern beaches and the great, the red zone, amber zone, and green zone stuff that you had to deal with? Yeah, yeah, the whole traffic light system, as they call it. Um, yeah, it was it was such a hassle. It was the area I was living. If I uh, if I lived practically, you know, a few streets away, I would have been in an orange zone and. I would have been able to, to get to Melbourne a week earlier, but I got trapped because that's how they uh, that's how they kind of framed it into the Parramatta City Council, which is probably half an hour uh, long each way, so it's so big, and I got trapped as the last suburb in, so I had to, you know, go to Gosford, go to past Wollongong. I was just staying in Orange Zones, and uh, finally got here on Sunday, so it's, it's good to be here. It's, it's so tough for the players at the moment, Alex, and I guess. Looking back over the last month, have you been able to practice as per normal? Has it been a normal sort of pre-season for you or have you been locked down in bits and pieces where you haven't been able to train? Yeah, it's been so strange just because it's like, I think, you know, I think for everyone, initially when, you know, the Aussie players found out that, um, you know, all the international guys are going to have to come in and, you know, quarantine in a way. And, and we were thinking, oh, you know, great. Like, this is, we're going to be chilling at home, you know, mentally awesome and, and be able to train. And then, you know, Sydney gets a few cases. Brisbane gets this random case. And it's almost like, 
we're in a worse position than some of the international guys, you know, and it was, yeah, it was, it was tough to, um, to try to stay focused every day um, and not let all of that bother you. Um, but, you know, it, it, it is, it is tough. And um, luckily, you know, the guys that were trapped, we had at least each other and then, um, you know, you could, you could work something out, but uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely weird times. That's for sure. And we were in contact with a lot of the other players from uh, from Sydney and from New South Wales. I know Chris O'Connell's one that lives on the northern beaches, so he would have, he said that he struggled to get down here. But how how in contact were you with um, with a lot of those players from New South Wales and even Queensland about actually getting into Melbourne? Yeah, so it got like and we basically got trapped together, dependent on where we lived. So it was like I know Tomo and Matt Reed. They went to Canberra because they were allowed in because it was an area that was allowed. So they went over there. And I know the Brisbane boys, uh, Melman and, and Ducks, they were allowed to go into Canberra as well. But it was me and Chris who weren't allowed to go to Canberra. So we we kind of travelled everywhere together until he actually got the orange zone before I did. So, you know, he had to go... Uh, he had to go to Victoria, and then I was kind of kind of stuck in Sydney for a few days, uh, just kind of scrounging. And you know, I was playing five setters with guys over there, and just trying to prepare the best I can. But it was uh, it's not it's not ideal when you think of a preparation for a Grand Slam. But it's nothing's ideal this last year and a half, so you still have to make the most of it. That's exactly right. And you mentioned the last year and a half, and you were someone that enjoyed a fantastic 2020, as I mentioned, with a huge rankings rise, getting a career-high ranking. Um, and going to Monterey, where you made the Challenger final in March, just before the shutdown, how frustrating was that to have one of your career-best results and then have the tour just completely locked down for five months? Yeah, it was, it was strange. Um, but, but to be honest, I think you know, I, was, I was playing well the whole few months up mm. to it like ever since you know the break on I think it was 2019 um and then I kind of started 2020 and I you know I was starting to understand the, the tour um a little better because you know even though I am 24 almost 25 I've only been on tour for maybe two years one you know like it hasn't been like two or two and a half years so it hasn't been too long so I've started to understand this like you know you lose almost pretty like pretty much every week um so for me, it was more that like I wasn't necessarily disappointed, but I think others are like even close to me were like more gutted for me. But I, I kind of wasn't like it was just bad, you know, it was just not bad, but like a weird, weird situation for everyone. So I wasn't thinking of it too much, to be honest. Alex, when you when you talk about you, you started to understand the tour. Can you dig, dig a little deeper? Because I try to explain this to a lot of players that are trying to transition themselves. Um, as athletes from one stage of their development to the next. Um, and you obviously got to understand the next part of the game. It gets quicker. You know, you've got to be stronger. You've got to be fitter. Um, you've got to have a bigger weapon. You know, you, you've got to be more consistent of what you're doing, your behaviours and your, and your standards of practice and the way you play. But what was it for you that was probably the standout and you went, no, nah, that's a light bulb moment for me and, I, and I've, got to, I've got to do this a little bit more often to have more consistent results? Uh, it, I, th I think for everyone's a bit different, but for me, I'm quite just, I'm very critical on myself. And I think when I left college, I was so focused on, you know, 
getting to a certain ranking or um, doing certain things. And, and every match, I felt like I had so much pressure to win and to do well. And that was mostly coming from me. But it was like, and I, and I kind of just let that go. Um, you know, I, I think I lost seven, eight matches in a row at the end of 2019 and, and just lost lost myself, lost, I completely lost the awareness of how I was playing and how to play. It was, you know, when you start losing, you, you just you just go spiraling down and I wasn't in a good mental state. And I took two and a half weeks off, completely no tennis. And I just, it, it just relaxed me a little bit. I stopped focusing on the results, but more the, the long-term vision of each day, trying to get positives out of each day because it's such a negative sport. Um, you lose so many points. And, and I think it's like, people get more frustrated losing than they enjoy winning. And it was more just trying to stay positive and take little things. And even when I lose, not to, to dwell on losing, but just to, to, to focus on how my game's going and, and think more in terms of that rather than, oh, you know, I lost a 7-6 in the third or um, I had a really bad day. You know, like you're going to play, most, most of the time you're going to play pretty average. So it's, it's just focusing and hopefully the trajectory can go in the right direction, I think. I can see Mark's eyes absolutely lighting up here because the amount of conversations that we've had about this over the last year has been ridiculous. So I think he was just so proud then to hear a player a player say that. But talking about um, going back before we do get to the rest of 2020, your college career and you, you went over there for, was it three, three years and four years? Tell us about the yeah. experience over there. And actually, and, and why you chose to go over to college instead of going to, you went to Spain for briefly before you did go to college. And tell us about why you made that transition and what was the catalyst? Yeah, I mean, it, my, my journey is kind of strange in terms of, it's not like a traditional, you know, like a, I'm a good junior and then, you know, going to pros, maybe struggle a little bit, but, you know, you're always a good junior, so you find a way. Um, I was not a good junior. I didn't play juniors and I played AMT tournaments mostly. And I, you know, I had a lot of push from my dad and, and my family to, to keep playing tennis. They're both, you know, computer engineers. So they were like, just keep playing sport um, as long as you can. And I, I went to Spain initially. I wasn't going to go to college, but then I was actually in Spain and I think I maybe picked up like a point or two over there. But, you know, I wasn't ready because I went to full-time school. I wasn't ready to to go straight into pros. I was 17 and I was training so much and I thought I was going to burn out at 17, 18. I was like, I'm going to quit in a year if I keep doing this. And so I decided to go to college and I think it was the best thing that, that, that ever happened. And it was, you know, everyone always says, but it, it was and probably will be the best four years of my life um, in terms of just development, the enjoyment, the just just everything just everything about college um and i think it was it was definitely the right play and and it is the right play for a lot of juniors that aren't you know top 10 in the world um because the thing is you can always leave college you can always you can always just go pro whenever you want but you can't go back to college and the way i kind of saw it was i had a goal to be top in college and when you're a top player in college you you're probably going to have a level of a top 300 400 player and when you know that then it's almost like you can skip futures and you can skip that part then start playing the challenges and i mean you've seen that with so many college guys that you know first few years out they 
they get that top 200, top 250, and uh, you know the qualifying draws are stacked with college players these days. So refreshing, Alex, and thank you for saying that. And I hope some of the kids I coach are listening to this because it's um it's something that I'm, I'm pushing on to a lot of players, especially from Australia, where we have such a, a strict regimented school uh, system here, where you're obviously in school six hours a day, and you know it's very hard to be 18 years of age and being able to be ready to play on the tour. You're just not mature enough. You haven't put the hours in, the time in that a lot of the Europeans have, or a lot of the players that go full time and. Um, it's actually quite a refreshing story and, and one that I think is a really eye, a big eye-opener for a lot of our Australian kids. So well done on doing that and taking a different pathway and, and actually believing in it because I think a lot of our athletes need to choose this pathway and, you know, you've just done exactly that. And, you know, your, your game is based around big serve, big forehand. Um, obviously, at the, the top end of the game, that's obviously you need to have some sort of weapon. Um, is, is that your biggest go-to at the moment? Is that what you base all your game on is... You know, what else do you see as your biggest strengths moving forward and, and how are you going to use those at the Australian Open? And, and we know, and Val and I are here, we're supporting you big time. We think you can get you know, right, you know, right through and we think you've got the game to do something. So, you know, is there anything else that, that you think stands out in your game that you're going to be able to utilise to, to beat these top guys? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It is A lot of my game does revolve around my, my serve forehand and um, it's, it's, it's adding the, the other parts, you know, coming to the net a little more, um, using the slice a little more, but like I'm never going to be the guy that you know is, is coming to the net all the time or is or is slicing all the time. But you know, like tennis is just, tennis matches are so close that it depends on a few points. And if I can just add that and be a little bit more comfortable, and you know, that might win me a few more points. But my game is revolved around making other people uncomfortable, um, and you know, it's not giving them much rhythm. It's it's getting three points and serve and, and being quite aggressive on returns as well. And basically, you know, when I get that love 15, love 30, um, they haven't, you know, they're not feeling that that great at that moment because they know if I make a return then, it's like any anything can happen. So it's just trying to apply pressure in different ways and I think just continue to expand my game in terms of how I do that. Um, that's really what I'm focusing on just, just every day, just trying to do that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's such a long process. There's so much... There's so much to work on, but it's just like fine-tuning everything as, as much as I can, but also just, just staying relaxed and 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 enjoying it and, and see what happens because I think with with my game, it does have weapons, so it's like anything can happen. And I do remember watching your first ATP match against Feliciano Lopez back in Sydney a few years ago, and you had him completely rattled for the entirety of that match. It took him it took him so long to actually figure out what to do, and that, that's going to be a cornerstone of what you're going to be able to do to players in the future as well. But um, before this Australian Open, how much confidence does your run at Roland Garros last year, ha- or how much confidence does that give you? Because qualifying, beating three really tough opponents, uh, one of which Carlos Alcaraz, one of the best young prospects in the game, on clay, on his favourite surface... How much confidence does that give you that you're able to qualify on clay ahead of your well the biggest tournament on the Australian calendar? Yeah, I mean it, it definitely does, but I think that also stems from I think the tournament before uh, it was it was so so tough. Um, I think I was playing qualies and um, I played Schnur, Popko, um, Blackson, and uh, Vesley, and then um, I ended up losing to uh, Camille. Madurak yeah. and it was getting those matches helped so much uh, in that next week 
playing French. Um, but again, I was just taking it match by match. I mean, I could have easily lost that first match against Alcaraz and, um, you know, I was down match points there, but it, 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 it I was just focusing match by match. Happened, happened to win, you know, a few there and, and, uh, was kind of gutted in the first round as well because I had set points in the first round of the main and didn't get that. And, and, you know, it, uh, that's tennis. It just, it, I could have lost first round qualities and, and never, never gotten that experience. But, you know, with that, I think that put me in a good position to get the wild card. So, um, now I am feeling confident and it's just like, I'm going to take it match by match and, and see what happens. That's a great attitude that you've got. You know, I think it's, it's awesome to, to stay present with your mindset. And I just want to like ask you a question based around, I mean, obviously last time you played a grand slam in 2020, uh, you know, you know, you probably weren't training for a best of five set match. And all of a sudden now, you know, you're going to play. It's a different preparation. Now you've got to be ready to play five sets. How have you altered your training obviously accommodate and get your physical side probably ready for this year's Australian Open. Yeah, that was, that was definitely the one thing I focused on uh, the last two months, um, you know, with my fitness coach in, in Sydney. And it was – I haven't played too many five-setters. So playing that five – or best of five-setter in um, in France, it was just completely different. Different mentality. You know, I was – I didn't think I approached it in the right way. I was – in the back of my mind, I wasn't sure if I was physically ready, you know, because I'm playing these Spanish guys and slow clay. So I was just like, can I, can I last five sets? And I think that got me in the back of my mind. Um, even though I, I do think I'm in decent shape, it's, it's not, it didn't, I didn't have that confidence. So it was really just trying to instill that confidence in me this last month or two that I, you know, I can go the distance. So, um, you know, when I was back in Sydney last week, I did play a best of five setter. Um, so I was on court for four and a half hours um, and I felt great. Like I felt like I could have gone another hour or two. Like I was getting better as, as the match went on. So um, it was just to have that in, in the back of my head going into this. Um, I just don't have to worry about anything. I'm just going to focus on, you know, each point, each game and, and, and yeah, see what happens. Fantastic. And before we do let you go, Alex, we've got a little bit of fun towards the end of the show. So you'll get the idea of this pretty quick. It's from, uh, this is the Mastermind uh, segment of our usual co-host, Joel Frucci. Um, but it's kind of rapid fire. So I'll ask you a couple of questions and you yep. just give me a one word answer um, as soon as I say it, or if you, if you can anyway, we'll give you a few seconds leeway to think about it. But Friends or Seinfeld? Sorry, what was that? Friends or Seinfeld? Oh. Uh, friends. Friends, nice. Favorite movie? Uh, Dark Knight. All right, the ATP website needs to update that then because it said it was Wolf <laughs> of Wall Street. <laughs> I mean, they're both great movies. <laughs> uh, the best dish you can cook? I can cook. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> eggs. Nice. Scrambled eggs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about my level too. Uh, yeah, cats yeah. or dogs? Uh, dogs. Favorite song? Oh, sorry. Go again. Favorite song? Uh, that's tough. Uh, I can't pick. There's, there's too many. <laughs> Best place you've traveled for tennis? Mexico. Mexico. And worst place you've traveled for tennis? You can elaborate a little bit on this one if you like. Uh, I'd say I'd say Uzbekistan. 
Another vote for Uzbekistan. We've had a few people say that one. Um, yeah, it's strange because Uzbekistan is different than Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is actually quite nice. Like it's not yeah. like it's it's actually a decent place, but Uzbekistan is for me personally. Yeah, yeah, that now, was good. We had um, Marinko Matosovic on last year, and he taught Uzbekistan a new one with his with his um with his uh, review of the place there. They were showering with water bottles, and yeah, apparently it was yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's strange, so, so. And if you weren't a tennis player, what would you be? Oh, I'd probably work in finance somewhere. Perfect, because you did a you did a bachelor of finance at college, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd probably I'd probably be in like New York or something. That's probably my dream. That's not tennis. Nice, absolutely fantastic. That's not. I think you're one of the first players to say um, that they would that they wouldn't be an athlete after that question. So that's absolutely refreshing, <laughs> mate, Alex. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast tonight. We wish you all the best for the Australian summer and beyond. I think, personally, I reckon we're going to see you in the top 100 by the end of the year, and hopefully we do see that, but you're an absolute credit to yourself and your game. Um, good luck with the year and the Oz Open, and thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Alexander Vukic there joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. Mark, I am so impressed with his mentality, and he's just... He's tennis smarts, I guess. The way that he was talking about the sport and the mental side of the game as well as the physical side and and sort of very, you know, he was critical in himself. But a lot of the things that you've told me as a tennis coach when we've done a lot of tennis men you work together, he just reeled off then. And he's a 24-year-old. You see 35-year-old players that can't reel off some of that stuff and they've been on the tour for 20 years. It was really, really impressive. And he's just got his head screwed on and you can just tell that he's going to have the ultimate ultimate success as a player. Yeah, and a very humble young man as well and someone who has had a you know a different journey uh, through the game and it's just an amazing journey he's had and one you know going through college has, has helped him mature over the four years he was there to to be the young man he is today and you know real credit to him to credit to his family and the upbringing because he's a He's a bright young man with a with great future, and um, let's hope that uh, you know he has a really good start to 2021, and that that'll propel him you know so quickly up the rankings. Only because he's you know hasn't played the the slam here, and I guess you know everything he gets now is a bonus at the start of the year. So you know, good luck to him and his team, and um, let's hope, uh, as he said, let's hope he can he can go just a, another step in uh, 2021. Yep, 100%. And yeah, I do think the ATP probably needs to update their website and their bio of him. Um, that The Wolf of Wall Street was his favourite movie. Maybe that's changed in the last few years. Um, but Dark Knight is an absolutely top film as well. But Mark, just before we do get to our Benoit of the Week, the first one that you'll be able to um, to sit in on. I don't think you've sat in on one yet, so we can really go to town on some people if you like. Um, but... Alexander Zverev has um, announced his departure from the teammate uh, management company, which is owned by Roger Federer. He made the change towards the end of last year. There was a lawsuit with his old management company, and you know he said that he was exploited because he was young and so on and so forth. But now, do you think it's been the domestic violence allegations and all the other controversy, all the other controversy that's been surrounding him now that sort of caused teammate to probably distance themselves? From the young German? Yeah, look, he hasn't had a great sort of back half of 2020, has he? I mean, 2020 was probably a write-off for him. And uh, it was a challenging year, both on and off the court. I mean, he had some really good results towards the end of the year and probably hitting his straps now. So maybe, you know, it could be, could be a bit of, you know, mutual agreement, you know, teammate looking at, you know, possibly some of the misdemeanors, but also him looking at, 
you know, he thinks 2021 might be something that's going to be some something of a special kind of a year leading forward now. So, you know, he may be looking for a better deal somewhere else. And uh, you never know what's happening in the back end, a lot of these things. And um, good luck to him. Hopefully he has a better 2021 than he did last year. Yep, so management will be done by family and close friends. Misha's very if his older brother will be involved in that as um, as well as a few others. So going to be very interesting to see what happens there. The ATP Cup draw as well, Marks of Fullest, has been announced. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really interesting tournament um, this year. There's only, there's not 18 teams like there was last year. There's um, there's only, there's only 12, which, oh, mm. yeah, it's, I, I don't really know if I'm absolutely, I don't know if I'm keen on that. I would have liked to have seen a few more teams, but um, the event news, so Group A is going to be Serbia, Germany, and Canada. Group B is going to be Spain, Greece, and Australia. Uh, group C, Austria, Italy, and France. And then Group D, Russia, Argentina, and Japan. So we can expect some phenomenal tennis in all of those groups with some absolutely massive players like Djokovic, Zverev, Shapovalov, Ranić. Um, you've got Tsitsipas, Nadal, Nadal uh, yeah. Bautista Agu, Diminor, John Millman, Dominic Team. Fabio Fornini, uh, so that's going to be that's just going to be fun in itself. Um, Matteo Berrettini, Fornini versus Benoit Paire is going to be one of the most fun matches that I've ever watched, and I'm very, very excited for this because it could end in ten minutes or ten hours. We just don't know what we're going to get. But Daniel Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, Diego Schwartzman. Kane Ishikori and Gael Monfi also running out this tournament. So it is going to be a bumper edition of the ATP Cup. But speaking of Benoit Pairmark, it is time for the Benoit of the Week because, and you've never done one before. So we did, we, it was an epic amount of nominations last week. We had, I think, 16 nominations. We really came into the year with a bang. Do you want to give, now I've got one that I want to give. But is there someone that you would like to nominate for a Benoit of the Week? It can be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. It can be someone that's had a bad week or a good week or and a good week as well. So I'll leave this to you. Have you got anyone that you would like to nominate? It, it's a tough one. You have put me on the spot here, Val. But I think going off what we've spoken about on this show uh, today, how can you go past Diana Nostremska? I mean, I mean, how, I mean, <laughs> But she's not just the Benoit of the week, she's the Muppet of the week and probably the Muppet <laughs> of the year already. So I, I dare say that she wins uh, the Benoit of the week from my perspective. Yeah, look, I am uh, I think I'm one that does tend to agree. She didn't actually get a nomination last week, which is quite surprising considering um, we we had touched on her briefly. So yeah, she's, uh, she's well and truly on the board and I think we'll leave it at one this week because... Um, yeah, uh, I I dare say she had an absolutely shocking week, and she's had a shocking year to start 2021. The uh, the disaster that was 2020 has continued for her, and uh, yeah, hasn't been good. So she moves to one. We've got a 17 way tie for first in the Benoit of the Year competition. So Djokovic pair the live tennis app Victoria Azarenka, Putintseva, Tomic, Vanessa Sierra, Renee Stubbs, Ben Rothenberg. Craig Tiley, Roberto Batista Agu, Tara Daniel, Nick Kyrgios, Artem Sitak, Pablo Cuevas, and Alan Perez, and now Diana Yastremska all on one vote. So it's wide open very early. We've still got another probably 46 weeks of the year to go. So still plenty of time for someone to make their move and break Novak Djokovic's record of six votes in one year that he received 
last year. But Mark Safoulis, thank you very much for joining us here on a Breakpoint podcast today. It was a pleasure to have you on as a co-host, and we hope to see you very soon. And uh, big things in the pipeline for the tennis menu. Yeah, it's just nice to keep the uh, the old seat warmers on for Joel Frucci for the next show. But um, nice to be here and to join you, Val, as always. And yeah, looking forward to the year ahead. There's plenty, plenty happening and uh, hopefully a big Australian Open for us as well. Looking forward to what's ahead. Yep, you can follow The Tennis Menu, as I said, at The Tennis Menu on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, The Tennis Menu, and same as LinkedIn as well. I don't know if we're going to be able to welcome Joel back after your performance today, Mark. You've been absolutely fantastic, so thank you again. My pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Insta at Breakpoint Podcast, search at Breakpoint One, Breakpoint Pod One on Facebook, and also just Breakpoint as well. Remember, you can subscribe on Wooshka, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on Google Podcasts as well. Wherever you get your shows from, we are there. I've been Val Febo. Mark Zafulis on the other line. This has been Breakpoint Podcast. Big thank you to Alex Vukic for joining us. We'll catch you next week.